This is a CBC podcast. Hi there, I'm David Cochran, and this is the Power and Politics podcast for Monday, December 4th. Another House speaker faces calls to resign. Why Greg Fergus is under fire over a video message he recorded. And Bonnie Crombie is the new Ontario Liberal leader. We'll hear her plan to rejuvenate the third-place party. Plus, strict new rules for methane emissions. Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson is here to defend them. We begin with growing pressure on the House Speaker to step down after he appeared in a video message that was played at this weekend's Ontario Liberal Leadership Convention. Speaker Greg Fergus recorded the message from the Speaker's chamber and in the Speaker's traditional robes. And that, according to the opposition, is unacceptable. It's a difficult thing to say, especially as a former Speaker, but I do believe that this has caused such... It has undermined the position of the Speaker so greatly that I must add my voice and the voice of the official opposition to those who have asked for the Speaker to resign. That includes the Bloc Québécois, which is also calling for the Speaker's resignation. The CBC's Karina Roman joins us now. So, Karina, take us through what happened today and what led to this moment. Well, what's interesting, David, is the call to resignation wasn't the first thing to happen today. Actually, started with Fergus's apology, which I will get to uh, in a moment. But uh, it started after that apology with Andrew Scheer, the House leader for the Conservative Party and a former Speaker himself, uh, calling, standing up and, and, and asking for a question of privilege, uh, making the case that this was wrong on so many fronts, uh, but actually at that time asking for it to be referred to the Procedure uh, and House Affairs Committee to examine. Uh, at that point, not calling for Fergus's resignation. But then the Bloc Québécois stood up and immediately basically called for his resignation, saying that this has undermined his neutrality to such an extent that it's impossible for him to continue as Speaker. And so it was after question period when Andrew Scheer uh, then said, you know what, this party actually, the Conservatives want him to resign as well. Um, and uh, that making the case that all his rulings before and after now are, will be called into question uh, as Speaker. Now the NDP is still talking about it going to a committee but when you have two out of the three opposition parties calling for the Speaker's resignation, uh, and they're all seemingly dumbfounded at the idea that that he would record this message in the Speaker's office, in his robes, um, you know, and that this would come just two months after the previous speaker, Anthony Rota, had to resign uh, after recognizing, you know, the Ukrainian-Canadian war veteran who fought with a Nazi unit. So uh, it, it's hard to believe in, in some cases people say that we're, we're in this position, it, it seems, yet again. Okay, so the, the Conservatives want him to go, the Bloc wants him to go, the NDP wants this to be studied at a committee so some guardrails can be put in place so this sort of thing doesn't happen again. What is Greg Fergus saying about all of this, Karina? Well, he did apologize, uh, but he also explained that when he agreed to do this a message, this video message, he did not know it was going to be, or he was at no point informed this was going to be played at the Ontario Liberal Convention, uh, that he thought it was for a private gathering for John Fraser, uh, that it was a personal, not a political message, and it was a message for someone who has been a personal friend for more than three decades. Have a listen to what more he had to say on this. While we serve here as parliamentarians, we are people. Like all of you, 
I have deep and abiding relationships with people from all political backgrounds. It should not be seen as partisan to recognize a colleague's departure. It is an act of friendship and respect. Now, Fergus has recused himself from any debate on this matter, and he has promised to be more diligent going forward, recognizing the mistake. But that's not enough, uh, David, for most of his critics who say he has promised that before. There have been questions of partisanship before, uh, you know, uh, and problems on that front before. Uh, also questions of how could he not have known. Now, John Fraser has said that it was a miscommunication with Fergus's office, that it is not Fergus's fault. Uh, but there are so many questions still about his judgment. Uh, why record the message in the Speaker's office in his robes uh, is a question that is not, I, I guess you should say many don't feel have been answered sufficiently. And so here we are again, wondering if just two months later, another Speaker will survive or not. Okay, Karina, thank you so much. This is CBC's Karina Roman here in Ottawa. Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo unveiled Canada's plan to reduce methane emissions today. And to my knowledge, um, Canada committing to reducing methane emissions by at least 75% by 2030 is the most ambitious goal in the world right now. The proposed regulations are similar to those announced in recent days by the United States, and they are designed to help Canada reach its target of slashing methane emissions from the oil and gas sector by at least 75% by 2030. But two provinces are saying... This goes too far. For more details, I'm joined by Minister of Energy and Natural Resources, Jonathan Wilkinson. Minister, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. 75% uh, reduction by 2030 is a big target. In practice, what does Canada need to do to get there? Well, we've already made a lot of progress, right? I mean, we, we had put in place uh, regulations requiring 40 to 45% reductions uh, by 2025. And in fact, uh, most of the provinces uh, that this is relevant to actually have either achieved that early or are in the process of actually achieving it early. So significant progress has been made. Obviously, 75% is another step up. Um, there are a number of different things that will need to be done um, technology-wise in order to achieve it. But those technologies exist. And, and to be honest with you, um, relative to many other ways in which to reduce some reductions in the air, emissions in the economy, they're actually relatively inexpensive. So I think there's a clear pathway here. Um, and, and while I did note you know, the reaction from some of the provinces today, British Columbia has been developing its own regulations aimed at 75%. Mm -hmm. And Alberta's emissions reduction plan that was released before the election actually said that they were going to be consulting on a 75 to 80% target. Okay, I, I want to get to the provinces in just a second, but you, your government is also going to do some consultations on this as, as you develop it. What, what, you've made it sound very achievable and easy compared to a lot of the other climate challenges that the country faces, which are more difficult. Uh, I, I, I mean, what do you expect to come out of these consultations that you're going to launch? Well, I mean, some of this is, is reasonably technical, and so you want to make sure that uh, you've heard from industry in terms of some of the challenges. Uh, you've heard from others in civil society, including environmental organizations, about um, what they think perhaps could be done differently to accelerate some of the work. Um, it's, it's a process within the government where we put it out for consultation with every regulation. It'll be a 60-day period of consultation where people can, uh, can weigh in. Um, but as I say, I mean, I, I actually do think, and I think as you know, David, I used to be the environment minister and certainly was part of this whole conversation. This is one of the more straightforward ways to significantly reduce emissions right. in the economy. Well, you know, you, to get back to that provincial reaction, uh, Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe has called the methane emissions proposal an overreach. Alberta Premier Daniel Smith, she's in Dubai. Uh, 
she's the, the province is planning to continue to oppose what they're calling illegal and constitutional ideas. I mean, where do you think this goes uh, with the two Western provinces that you're increasingly at odds with uh, on, on the climate file? Well, I mean, look, I, I do think there is room for conversation here. I mean, uh, when we brought out the, the plan to cut methane emissions by 40 to 45 percent, both of the provinces initially objected. Um, and then we worked with them, and they ended up signing equivalency agreements where they implemented the, rec uh, the regulations themselves. Um, and there may be a similar pathway here where they may want to actually put in place their own regulations to achieve the same goal. But as I say, I mean, you know, Premier Smith in, in the, um, and the government uh, of Alberta, the UCP government, actually had this as part of their emissions reduction plan just, just before the election. So I don't think there's a fundamental disagreement here. And I think that, you know, what folks like Premier Mo and Premier Smith will have heard, because they're both at COP, is that most of the world is moving in this direction. The Americans have announced uh, regulations in this regard. The Brazilians have announced they're going to do it. The Egyptians have announced they're going to do it. The Europeans have just come forward with some of this stuff. I mean, this is a, a relatively, as I say, straightforward, not costly way to cut emissions significantly. And it is in all of our interests from an environmental perspective, but it's also in our interest economically to drive down the carbon content of the products we sell. But, but if there is uh, uh, this persistent sort of, if there is another round of objections from Saskatchewan and Alberta, and we've not yet spoken to Premier Moore or Premier Smith, obviously, directly on this because of the time difference and the announcement, is there capacity to, to work with them and negotiate on this, given what we've seen over the last couple of weeks? I mean, we're rapidly getting to January 1 when Scott Moe says they're going to stop collecting the carbon tax, not just on natural gas, but on electric heat now. It, it feels like, you know, the room for good faith negotiations there is getting smaller. Well, let me say that, you know, with respect to Alberta in particular, we actually have a working group that's set up, and irrespective of the public sort of comments that are going on at times, um, there's actually been very constructive, good good work that's been done on things like the clean electricity regulation. And so I, I expect that those conversations will continue, and I hope that we can get to a place where we can, uh, we can find common ground. Um, with respect to, to Premier Mo's comments about not collecting the price on pollution, I mean, at the end of the day, irrespective of your perspective on a particular policy, I think most Canadians, or the vast, vast majority of Canadians, expect their political leaders to abide by the laws of the land. And, and, uh, and I think everybody would expect Premier Mo to do that, and I think Premier Mo probably expects Premier Mo to do that too. Okay, well, we'll, we'll find out in less than a month. Uh, back to, to methane. Rick, Rick Smith, president of the Canadian Climate Institute, he said methane reduction is a no-brainer of Canadian climate policy and re relatively cheap uh, for companies to eliminate. Do you think the oil and gas companies share that view, that this is a cheap and easy one for them? I think they do. I mean, at, at COP just uh, today or yesterday, 50 of the largest oil and gas companies in the world actually signed up to something even more ambitious than what we are proposing. Um, you know, Synovus has, has signed up to an 80% methane reduction by 2028, not by 2030. So I think most of the oil and gas sector actually understands this is a relatively cheap um, and effective and speedy way for them to reduce the carbon intensity of the products that they sell. I've seen some analysis by Catherine Hayhoe, who you would know, who's a scientist who works in this space. I think that she's the chief scientist with the Nature Conservancy. And her argument is that because it's kind of the cheap and easy uh, emission to get rid of, with methane being that, we can't allow that to let the oil and gas sector, this is her view, off the hook on, on the bigger one, which is the full CO2 thing because of the larger amount of emissions that come from there. Uh, your colleague, Mr. Gilbo, told uh, the Globe and Mail uh, that there would very likely be uh, an emissions cap announcement at COP uh, before it ends this week. Um, should we brace for that announcement this week, Minister? And, and is Catherine Hayhoe right that methane's the easy part? This is where the real work gets done, is on the larger emissions cap? 
Well, Catherine Hayhoe is a very, very thoughtful observer of these issues, and I find myself in agreement with, uh, with uh, Dr. Hayhoe very often. Um, methane is the easy one, uh, but certainly we're going to have to make progress on CO2 emissions from the sector as well, just as we have to make progress on CO2 emissions from all the sectors of the economy. We have said that we are going to do that in the case of the oil and gas sector through a cap that will decline over time. Prime Minister has said that we will be putting a framework out before the end of the year, um, and uh, we are rapidly approaching the end of the year, so I think you can expect us to bring forward a framework for conversation quite soon. Well, well Minister Gilbo suggested by the end of COP. So will we get a cap <laughs> before the end of COP? I mean, should, should, should we book you to come back this week, Minister? <laughs> well, I would say stay tuned, but I'm always happy to come back. Okay, I have to ask you about this other issue that, that has dominated sort of uh, the parliamentary calendar today, uh, the, the point of privilege and, and the calls for, for Speaker Fergus to resign. Where does the government stand on this? Where does the Liberal caucus, the Liberal cabinet stand on the argument being made that Speaker Fergus compromised his neutrality by recording a, a video in Speaker's robes in the Speaker chamber that were played at, at a partisan convention? Well, this is all, you know, kind of breaking news, um, and uh, so I'm not sure that the, the government nor the caucus actually has taken any kind of a firm position at this stage. Um, cabinet obviously meets tomorrow, and caucus meets on Wednesday, and it's a subject that we will be discussing. But I think we have taken note of the concerns that have been raised, not just by the Conservatives, but others, uh, in terms of, uh, of the importance of maintaining the impartiality of the Speaker's office. Do you think an apology for you is just a... As a member of Parliament, Mr. Wilkinson, uh, does the apology satisfy whatever concerns you might have uh, about this incident? Well, I, I haven't seen uh, the Speaker since this happened, and to be honest, I would like to have a bit of a conversation with him to try to understand um, his thinking in this regard. But I, I do you know, think that it is important in the context of the conduct of the House of Commons that the Speaker be impartial uh, as much as, as that is possible and be perceived to be impartial. And I think that's something that I would be expressing to, uh, to Mr. Fergus, and I'd be interested to hear what he has to say. Okay, but, but do you, at this point, just as a final point, do you see any reason why he should or would step down? Well, I, I think that clearly there is uh, certainly some question about the judgment, um, but, but I do think that uh, we live in a world where forgiveness is possible, and, and I think it's important that we hear from him um, before we rush to judgment. Okay. Energy and Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson, thanks for joining us today. And if the cap does come out before the end of COP, we would like you to come back, sir. All right. Sounds All right. good. Thank you, Minister. Okay. Bye-bye. The Ontario Liberal Party elected its new leader over the weekend. Bonnie Crombie is our new leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie takes the reins of the Ontario Liberals after two straight election flops for that party. She is now tasked with rebuilding a party that sits in third place. What was expected to be a smooth victory for the frontrunner turned out to be a close night, and Crombie reached the threshold to become party leader after the third and final round of balloting. She beat out Liberal MPs Nader Erskine-Smith and Yasser Nakfi and Liberal MPP Ted Shu. Newly elected Ontario Liberal Party leader Bonnie Crombie joins us now. Ms. Crombie, welcome to the show and uh, congratulations. Thank you, David. Uh, this was a win, but a narrower than expected win. Uh, what does the margin tell you about the party you now have to unite and lead? Yes, it shows that we had a very competitive race 
and that our party was engaged and it's all very, very positive. I intend to bring everyone together because together we're a very formidable team. The, the party made a lot uh, about the 100,000 people who signed up to vote in this race, but only 23,000 people voted in the end. So what does that say about the true level of enthusiasm in the Liberal Party right well, now? You- it's not untypical of even a municipal uh, election race. Sometimes you see results in the 20%, but the good news is we did sign up 103,000 people and we have their names, phone numbers, emails. So we will be getting them engaged with, you know, participating at the local level, fundraising, etc. But if they, if they didn't vote in a leadership, well, what makes you uh, so optimistic that they can be involved in sort of the, the grunt work of politics uh, between now and the next election? a lot of reasons people didn't come out conflicts weather work i'll tell you i was in etobicoke center greeting people saying hello and a girlfriend of mine walked in and i said oh my goodness maya have you moved from mississauga she said no bonnie i couldn't make it yesterday in mississauga so i came to vote for you today sunday in etobicoke instead and i said unfortunately that's not what the rules allow so there was some confusion that there were two days available to vote okay but but it's still for for more than 70 percent of the eligible people who, who you know municipal election i know you use that comparison but people are there automatically in a municipality they had to actively sign up for this and they did that but then didn't participate so is that just a lot of inflation in the actual membership numbers people just signed up without having any intent to, to follow through when I look at previous election results for leadership races, this is significantly higher than the last two times. And the good news is that we do now have 103,000 people registered to be Liberal Party members, David. So, you know, we're going to be cultivating them, motivating them to get out and participate. And of course, we'll be sending them notices to help us fundraise as well so that we can win in the next election. Uh, it, it took the maximum number of ballots uh, for you to win, given the size of the field. And, and that happened because Nate Erskine-Smith and Yasser Nakfi, the two Liberal MPs, they united to try to stop you, uh, asking their supporters to rank them first and second on each other's ballots. Uh, and and they, they, they said some difficult things about you uh, throughout this campaign. So I wonder, have you reached out to Mr. Erskine-Smith and Mr. Nakfi to run for you in the next election? And is that possible, given their efforts uh, to defeat you? So certainly I did have um, an opportunity to speak with Yasser Nakfi on Saturday evening. We had a very pleasant conversation. I haven't reached out to Nate yet, but I certainly will. It's only, you know, two days later. Uh, We have the Ontario Liberal Party Christmas uh, caucus meeting, Christmas party this evening. So perhaps he'll be there. I'll have the opportunity to speak with him. Um, There are lots of opportunities that I'll have to speak with all of them. I am meeting Ted in about one hour's time. So we'll be sitting down with all of them and having those conversations. Okay, so so Ted Shu, who is is already a a member uh, provincially, um, will you reach out to Nate Erskine-Smith, though, to run for you? Do you want him and Yastrinath to run for you in the next election? As I said to you, it takes every Liberal to come together to beat Doug Ford in 2026. And together, combined, we make a very formidable team. So, of course, I will. Okay, so right now, uh, you are the Ontario Liberal leader, and you're also the mayor of Mississauga. One of those things has to change. When are you going to step down (laughs) as mayor? Uh, Very good. And I do intend to step down. I've got a budget to complete at the city and at the region appeal. And then there will be some wind up work to be done. Of course, this is a very serious job. It it doesn't end in one day. Um, You know, there are a number of 
projects and uh, I've got to complete and wrap up some loose ends. So you will see that very soon in, in January of 2024, I will be stepping down. Okay, so it's going to happen like in a month or so. It's not going to linger into February, March. This is something that oh, happens goodness, in the oh, first goodness, month. No. Of the It'll happen in, in weeks. Okay. Yes. But you have the challenge now of leading a party from outside the legislature, right? So how do you do that uh, without a seat? I, I know that Monty McNaughton's seat in, in Lambden, Kent, Middlesex is vacant, which I know is outside of your political area. How do you, will you run there will, or will you try to lead without being a member of Queen's Park? So I had this conversation yesterday with John Fraser, as a matter of fact, about Lambton, Kent, Middlesex. And certainly yesterday I participated in the provincial council where all the riding presidents um, were meeting. And I had the opportunity to come and give them a little rally talk. And we talked about our fundraising goals, etc. And I had a chance to speak to Catherine McGarry and John Fraser. And John has let me know that they have identified a candidate in that riding. So perhaps that wouldn't be the best riding for me to run in. And he and I spoke about what the best approach is, what's the strategy going forward. And we both agree that for me, it's to continue to sell the Liberal brand and meet people on the ground myself. So continue the tour of the small towns, rural agricultural communities, northern communities, let people know who I am and how our brand has evolved and build back trust with voters. So that's what I'll continue to do until a more logical seat opens up and it would be ideal in Mississauga or the GTA. So you never know, these things do do happen from time to time. But how, it's going to be harder to rebuild the Ontario Liberals without the benefit of being a question period every day to have that daily contrast with Doug Ford and, and his ministers and without being at Queen's Park every day. Uh, I, I know, uh, you know the, the getting parliamentary media isn't everything, but when you don't have official party status and you're the third party, that, that's an important supply of political oxygen, is it not? Well, David, I'm here on Power and Politics with you today. Uh, I don't have trouble getting national media or local media, but I don't intend to walk the halls of Queen's Park looking for media. We have very capable people at Queen's Park. We have a solid team of nine MPPs who are all used to answering media questions and will take a lead at Queen's Park. It's more important for me to be on the ground and building back trust with voters and selling the Liberal brand and letting people get to know me. I think that'll be very important going forward, especially to be present in those small towns and northern communities that feel isolated uh, and feel neglected. And Doug Ford has neglected those communities and I want to be present and I want to listen to them. I want to listen to what their needs are so I can incorporate those in our party platform going forward. You mentioned that you spoke to Mr. Fraser, who of course is, uh, is stepping down as the, is the interim leader uh, of the party. Uh, you're the biggest provincial story to come out of the convention. Greg Fergus would be the biggest Ottawa story to come out of this convention for the video that was played of him in the speaker's robes, um, offering his praise to Mr. Fraser for his time as the leader of the Liberal Party um, of Ontario. There have been calls today by the Bloc Québécois and by the Conservative Party of Canada for Mr. Fergus to step down as Speaker of the House of Commons for that video yeah. being played, saying it yeah. crossed the line of partisan political yeah. activity, especially since he was filmed in the Speaker's office in his Speaker's robes. Should Greg Fergus step down as Speaker of the House of Commons over this? Look. What I see is a federal member of parliament from Ottawa praising uh, a provincial member of parliament also from Ottawa. I don't think there was um, any malicious intent in that. I think they were just, you know, just tipping the hat to say job well done to my friend and colleague at the provincial level, both from neighboring ridings in the Ottawa region. So no foul play there. Even though it was done in the speaker's robes in the speaker's office and that job is supposed to be completely nonpartisan. 
Well agreed. I mean, you know, probably um, not the best idea to do it in the speaker's robes, but I don't think there was any malintent. I think he was just paying tribute to a friend who had done a, an exceptional job. There has been a suggestion, just as a final point, Ms. Crombie, that this was never meant to be played publicly at the convention. Have you gotten any explanation from the party that this was meant to be a private video rather than something that was played publicly? And in the end, does that really matter when it comes to whether Greg Fergus should have done this or not? Yeah, no, I don't have any indication from the party. I haven't spoken to them about it. Okay. Bonnie Crombie, uh, the newly elected leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, thank you for your time today. Thanks. Thanks for having me, David. Well, yet another Liberal Speaker of the House of Commons is in hot water. It was a non-political message to a personal friend. A partisan tribute to a partisan friend at a partisan event. Respect, impartiality and decorum are values I continue to prioritize for my Speaker's tenure. It has undermined the position of the Speaker so greatly that I must add my voice and the voice of the official opposition to those who have asked for the Speaker to resign. Okay, all of that is in reference to a video by Speaker Greg Fergus that was played at the Ontario Liberal Leadership Convention as a tribute to the outgoing interim leader, John Fraser. We had a lot of fun together uh, through the Ottawa South Liberal Association, uh, through Liberal Party politics, by helping Dalton McGuinty get elected. This was really... Uh, Okay, so that's led to a big debate in Parliament, and Fergus has recused himself from the debate as Conservatives and Bloc Québécois MPs are pushing for Fergus to resign for breaching the requirement to be politically neutral and nonpartisan. We're going to bring in our not-so-neutral and not-so-nonpartisan power panel now. Brad, uh, Brad Levine is going to join us in a bit, or is he there, guys? Brad Levine is there. Brad Levine is with Council Public Affairs. Gary Keller is a vice president at Strategy Corp. And here with me in the Ottawa studio, Vandana Cotter is a political consultant and former advisor to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Rob Russo is the former CBC Parliamentary Bureau Chief, now writing for The Economist. I could have sworn a week ago it was the Atlantic. Here we are. Uh, okay, uh, Vandana, let's start with, with Greg Fergus. He's He's only been in the job a couple of months. He's had already a couple of uh, run-ins with Andrew Shear and the Conservatives here. Um, what, how does he move forward with two, the second and third largest parties in the House calling for him to go? I mean, I think he just keeps doing what he's doing and shows himself that, you know, he's still new to the role. You know, he's a well-respected member of the House of Commons. He makes, you know, he makes alliances between all parties. He's been chair of the Parliamentary Black Caucus, which is not, it was just like a multi-partisan caucus. Mm -hmm. So I think it's something that he's new to the role. He has new staff. And maybe they didn't, from what I understand from John Fraser's tweet, didn't fully understand where it was being used. It was a personal message. Um, so I think it's more about just, you know, pushing forward, you know, acknowledging he made a mistake and just moving forward and showing that he's for uh, you know, making sure there's better decorum in the house. So if we take it at face value, though, that it was meant to be a private message, why do it in the robes and in the chambers? Why not just do it in a suit as Greg to John going back to the, the early days of their political careers rather than putting on the garb of the Speaker of the House? Yeah, I mean, like, I think it could have been something as simple as, I don't know if he was doing this between sittings or between, you know, mm. and then his staff maybe thought that instead of switching out to MP, um, you know, Greg Fergus for Elmer, that just going for, for Hall Elmer and then going to the Speaker could be something as simple as not fully understanding that the nature of where it was being used, maybe it was going to be a personal event, I don't know, but I assume that's where he thought, okay, it's nonpartisan, I'm, I'm working, uh, it should be fine, it's a tribute to my friend John, sure, we'll do that, and then didn't really realize 
realize exactly where it was going to go. Well, well, Gary, where it's gone now is is not a good place uh, if you're Greg Ferguson if, and if you're, you're the Liberals. I mean, it started uh, with Andrew Scheer wanting it to go to committee, which is what the NDP says should still happen, but the bloc called for him to go pretty quickly, and then by this afternoon, the Conservatives have joined that. What do you make of where we are? Well, I had to laugh at your previous commentator. Blame the staff. I mean, that's, you know, the standard liberal response here. I mean, if, if uh, for all the, the, the mess-ups in this liberal government, blame the staff. If I had a dollar for every uh, mess-up blamed on the staff, I'd be a wealthy, wealthy man these days. Look, Greg Fergus, I think, is in real trouble here. He's lost the confidence of both the official opposition and the Bloc Québécois. He's still facing uh, a call for this to go to a parliamentary committee. Um, and the rule book of the House of Commons is very... Very, very clear on this. It says the Speaker of the House of Commons, so the Speaker must always be sh uh, show impartiality and uh, and be seen to at least respect the House of Commons in terms of uh, impartiality. And that is seriously at question here. And, uh, you know, uh, I really wonder if this is going to be a question of uh, Greg Fergus uh, lasting longer than a head of lettuce like Liz Truss and the head of lettuce in the uh, UK House of Commons. So, so Brad, look, uh, uh, what he said, if you actually listen to the message, it was a fairly anodyne just kind of tribute to, to John Fraser. Uh, it wasn't like, you know, a rah-rah, let's go beat those evil conservatives type thing. It was just reminiscing about, about the early days. But he was in the robe and he was in the office. And that may seem silly to people who aren't in Parliament, but like he's in charge of Parliament and there are rules in Parliament. So how much trouble do you think Greg Fergus is in uh, at this point over this? Well, <clears throat> I think the, the amount of trouble he's in is, is, I think, directly correlated to what else is, is going to occupy uh, our time as Ottawa and House of Commons uh, and parliamentary watchers. If there's something else to take this off, then this will seem adorable uh, in due time. I remember, I think it was a Monday power panel, I believe when he was first uh, uh, placed in this position, uh, one of the many threads throughout our conversation about Greg Fergus as, as the just elected uh, speaker was that he comes from a long line of uh, partisan liberals. He was, before he was speaker, he was uh, obviously a liberal partisan. He was uh, the president of the party at one point. He was the uh, go-to person for Trudeau in the House of Commons to... Uh, uh, Carl to the prime minister, actually, was one of the Absolutely. He was the pit bull. He would go out there and, and, sh and defend the, the PM. So he came into this role from a, from a background of being uh, a bit of a partisan. Why is this important to the folks at home? Because the position of speaker as as has been stated needs to be neutral and the position of speaker needs to be well respected this was a video in the robe and in the office that was shown at a partisan event for the for the predominantly if not exclusive use of that party uh, to promote itself either internally with those in the room, those watching online, or for, for newscasts uh, uh, later. Uh, Mr. Fergus would not do this for the Bloc Québécois. He would not do this for the Conservative or the New Democratic Parties of Canada. So obviously uh, this could be uh, in trouble. I think it should go to committee. I think the NDP are right here. Uh, I think if you call for his resignation too quickly without due uh, diligence, uh, then the threat of asking for the resignation becomes a little impotent, and I think that's the problem with the Bloc and the Conservatives. They're crying wolf too much. We need due process uh, to ensure that this doesn't happen again. 
Right, Rob Brad, Brad lays out uh, the, the argument that was there. Uh, people like Jenny Byrne on Twitter very qu- quickly when 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 uh, Greg Fergus was his name was floated to be speaker, discounting him because of that partisan past. Like, where do you think he is right now in terms of his political well, sustainability? I, I think if he goes, it'll be just two months that he's in the job, and we'll turn the speaker's chair into an ejector seat, given the way they're they're <laughs> turning them over these days. But look, I, I think Brad's right. I I, I think Mr. Fergus is paying to a certain extent for par- past partisanship. Uh, I, I think that the bloc, uh, Mr. Terrian, their House leader, made that point uh, in, in, the, uh, in the comments today. Uh, I think of the, the election of 2019 when I, when I was here with the CBC, he was brought out to defend Justin Trudeau at a very low point in that election when uh, Mr. Trudeau was caught, or, or photos were unearthed of him in blackface. Uh, so he has played a particularly partisan role in the past. That was one of the arguments against him being speaker. That's been reinforced in a way. Um, look, uh, I, I, you compare it to what happened to Anthony Rota. This is not the same as inviting um, a former Nazi in to be celebrated in front of a Jewish president who is being threatened by an authoritarian leader. Not, not the same thing. Mm. Uh, but it does look like a dumb mistake. And I'll tell you what I was struck by. I was struck by your interview earlier with Mr. Wilkinson, where he didn't rush to defend yeah. uh, uh, Greg Fergus. He actually said he needs to hear some things from Greg Fergus, and he wants to speak to him. That's mm. not a stout defense. It'll be interesting to see whether the liberals have, are starting to move away from Mr. Fergus as well. Yes, I, I, and Yvonne and I have no idea if that's the case, but also, like Minister Wilkinson, who's a very careful guy in public, Cabinet hasn't met, Caucus hasn't met. I think that he was also trying not to get too far out ahead of his skis. But uh, going back to, to the Greg Fergus question, his partisanship that has been well documented here, given that, knowing how these things go, his judgment should have maybe I shouldn't do this in the robes. Maybe I shouldn't do this in the office. Don't you think that should have clicked in? Sure, and I think, I think to be fair, I think he caught Mr. Wilkinson off guard <laughs> talking maybe. about completely yeah. something different. Um, let's be honest. Like, every MP that sits as a speaker is a partisan. You know, the former Speaker of the House, Andrew Scheer, was the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Like, everyone doesn't mean off-cycle that they're all of a sudden, Andrew Scheer's thinking of, like, non-partisan things. Like, everyone's a partisan. You just, mm. and you're in the House of Commons, your job is to show non-partisan partiality in how it's run. So, you know, this was, you know, I don't know, I do think it was a mistake. I think Mr. Fergus has been admonished enough. I think he's had that. But I really think it's about moving forward. But going back to your point, Jenny Byrne making a comment, they don't want this to work for Mr. Fergus. They have no problem undermining him in the House. It's about partisan politics. It's not about the actual role or whether he has. He made one mistake. Does it mean it changes his judgment in the House of Commons? I don't think so. Gary, I, I accept that everybody who runs to be Speaker of the House uh, is a partisan, right? You wouldn't be in the House of Commons if you weren't. But really, it's about how you can... So his record prior to becoming Speaker, that, I, I, is it fair to hold that against somebody when they're in the Speaker's office if they are conducting themselves in a nonpartisan way? I, I know this issue of a video that got shown at a partisan conference by mistake or on, on purpose is one thing. But it's history. I mean, you're, not, you're never going to be able to elect a Speaker of the House of Commons who's up to the job if you dig up everything everyone's ever done in the past uh, to, to discredit them, right? 
No, but but speakers of the House of Commons traditionally take take active measures to prevent these things from happening. Right. They don't go to caucus. They don't go to party conventions. They stay they stay out of it. If they need something for their constituents, it's done very quietly and not in a very public manner because that would threaten the impartiality of the House of Commons. Now, we just had a speaker of the House jettisoned uh, for showing extremely bad judgment. You would think that Mr. Fergus, as the speaker, say, wow, I'm going to have to really mind my P's and Q's here and be on my best behavior possible and not give any suggestion that I might be acting uh, in favor of one party or another party. And he just completely blew it. It is a dumb mistake. And I think it's a very serious mistake that that could cost him his speakership. Do you really uh, think you should go over this, Gary? Do, do you really think you Your should point go about Wilkinson? Yeah. Point about Wilkinson. I also noticed that too. That was not exactly a warm and fuzzy uh, declaration. Uh, you know, I too would like to see this go to committee. Um, but now we have two parties in the House of Commons who have expressed non-confidence mm. in them. It's going to be very difficult for him to maintain his position. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Brad, you know, to, to the point about uh, Jonathan Wilkinson, maybe Von Den is right. He wasn't expecting that, and, and, you know, it was not the reason we invited him on. I want to thank him for, for taking those questions right. in good faith <laughs> and in good humor. Uh, uh, but but do, do you think uh, Greg Fergus survives this, or do you think this could be the beginning of the end of, of, of his speakership? I, it seems unclear to me at this point. Well, to his benefit, I mean, there's only a handful of, uh, you know, days left in, 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 in the sitting. So that's probably to his advantage. If we had a nice, you know, long seven eight week run he might be in bigger trouble but here here's the kicker and here's where he may be in trouble um to the point that he's lost the confidence of the uh conservatives in the block that's a pretty sizable chunk of the house of commons Mm -hmm. he ran on a platform you know all the speaker candidates run on a platform here's what i'll do i'll bring this uh to the to the speaker role i'll bring that to the speaker role and that's all well-intentioned one of mr fergus's key commitments was to was to establish decorum in the House of Commons and to either regain or gain a level of, of respect uh, in the House of Commons, particularly uh, at things like question period, which are absolutely just at their worst, I think many observers would say, in terms of the level of vitriolic uh, backing and forthing. Tomorrow will, or today, tomorrow, this week, will the decorum in the House of Commons be better or worse, because of Mr. Fergus's decision to wear the robes at a partisan uh, video uh, greeting uh, on the weekend, it'll be a lot worse. And so, therefore, the the the, the you know the the day to day functioning of the uh, of question period and of the uh, of Parliament is put at risk. If that maintains itself for a long period of time, a lot of people might just put their hands up and say, "This guy can't control." the speaker's uh, role anymore. He can't keep uh, keep decorum. Well, Rob, Rob, decorum was bad before this video. I, I, I don't know if this is, is, is you know, going to be It'll be worse, though, David. It'll be worse tomorrow. Well, I, but no well, one can control the House right now. This is how it is. Yeah. I mean, he promised. No, he promised that he would bring decorum back. But how is one person going to do that when an opposition is constantly undermining our institutions? Like, there's no one person He's in one this environment who's going to be able to do that. But he ran on that platform. The question is for Mr. Fergus, not for me. But how can one person actually control the House of Commons given the environment right now? That's not going to be possible. They have the power to do so. They can expel members. They can call call people out. They They're have, going to they expel the every member them. that speaks out of turn. We have no members in the House right now. Or we have very well, little of the House right now. It's like children at the time. He's that- being held accountable for his partisan actions. This is literally one of the first lines in the rule book of the House of Commons. Is you have to not just be 
and seem to be impartial. You have to be impartial in all things that you're doing. And, and that's why speakers traditionally recuse themselves uh, of all sorts of activities, going to caucus, going to cabinet, or not cabinet meetings, going to uh, party conventions, all, the, all those sorts of things, to fundraisers, to avoid this. And I listened to Mr. Fergus's message. It was a very partisan, warm, we all did this together, we worked to help uh, Dalton, Dalton McGinty get elected. Like, come on, like, he has not shown terrible judgment at a time when the Speaker of the House of Commons, because of the actions of the past Speaker, we need to see a strong leader in that position, and he is showing that he may not have been up to the job. Okay, I, I've lost control of a four-person <laughs> sorry, panel. Sorry. I can't even imagine what the House of Commons would be like. Bob, a quick response to that, and then I want a last word from, from Rob. Um, this was not a federal liberal biennial. This was not anything like that. Yes, it's still partisan. It is yeah. the Liberal Party. It is a long-standing friend for him. I don't think. I think it's different if he was doing a video to a federal issue attacking the conservatives. Then yes, I totally understand that is a big problem. Here, I think there was a mistake made. A long-time tribute to a friend talking about provincial politics. You know, everyone has that history in the house. Everyone takes this chair is going to have the history mm. in the house. And you know what? To be honest. I will challenge anyone, there is no one at this point who's going to be able to control decorum of that many people given the environment. Well, it's certainly not going to be me because I'm blowing time here. Rob, quick last thought. Uh, <laughs> this is a coarser House of Commons than I have seen in a long, long time. If this was six months ago, if this was six years ago, he might have a better chance of surviving this. Uh, the coarseness of debate does make it uh, harder for him to survive. All right, we're going to end it on that point. Thanks to the Power Panel, Vandana Cotter, Rob Russo, Gary Keller, and Brad Levine. Thanks so much, gang. That's it for today. If you like this episode, please follow the pod and catch our next live show on CBC News Network. We're on weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm David Cochran. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.